speak to our hearts. We have some things to wrestle with in this in this chapter today, and Lord, I, I ask for uh, real understanding, deep understanding, and um, uh, an understanding that leads us, that that, that pushes us toward Christ likeness, an understanding that, that shapes us, that shapes our behavior, that shapes our thought patterns, that rearranges uh, lies that we have believed and that establishes truth in our hearts as the foundation of everything that we um, that we do and say and think. Lord, come in and, and by the power of your word, uh, rip up uh, lies that are rooted in our in our hearts. Some lies that we don't even understand are there, and Lord, plant the truth deep in us in such a way that it bears real fruit for righteousness out of us. Um, Lord, I, I, I love your word. Holy Spirit, we need you. Amen. I always call God Abba. I know, I can tell. Because, well, at least when I'm talking to him. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus called him. And it just feels good, so that's why I call him Daddy. I, yeah. daddy I do that sometimes, but I have a Daddy, and I and I just I don't know. It kind of Abba means Daddy, right? So okay. I, I like Abba better because I don't. I'm not going to use that particular term for anyone else. I like to call him Jesus. Well, if I was, really if I was praying direct, if I was praying to Jesus, I would say Jesus. But I'm praying to the Father, and that's not the same thing. I know it's, it kind of feels like it is, but um, I say Jesus even when I mean God. I know it's kind of weird, but I'm well, Jesus is God, but He's not the Father. I know, but I just say anyway. He's your brother. I say he's, Father a lot too. I guess he's your um, brother, and I say Daddy. So it's like God, your brother, God, your Father, I've never said God, that your, before. God, your comforter. I love, that's that's kind of why I started saying Abba, and that's why I would say Daddy is because it automatically shifts my perspective of Him. Uh, that, that's why the Lord's Prayer begins with Our Father who art in heaven. That's why it begins that way. That's not the way Jewish people prayed. They did not refer to Him as Father. They did not. And so for Jesus to say to them, this is how you should pray, our Father, they probably didn't even hear the rest of the prayer. I mean, the first time. They were probably like, what? I mean, I get it that he's your father, but is, he's, I, how can, wait, what, just a, you know, I mean, it just, it just, what? Just shift. It's just a perspective shift. Right there at the beginning of the prayer. Just, our Father, you know, it just, I, oh, it just sets your, because you talk differently to Daddy than you do to the boss or the king, right. or, you know, and Jesus was saying, no, when you pray, I want you to come as a son to his father. And that's totally different. It sets the boundaries of the relationship in a beautiful well, what, place. What Almighty God, um, Adonai, Yahweh. Uh, they would not have said Yahweh, um, because that name Yahweh. was far too holy. It was so holy that when they would write it, First of all, most of the time they, they would not write it. it. 
But if they were copying the Bible and someone used that name for God, they would go change clothes, put on new clothes, take out a new quill, which was expensive. They would write the name of God with that quill and then break it, never use it again, and they'd put their own clothes back on before they started again. Didn't you say that's like what was significant about the angel that Joshua saw? Because he said he was like a soldier of Yahweh. He did say that, yes. And so, I mean, that really reinforced for for Joshua the significance of this person he encountered. Is it okay for us to say Yahweh? Yes, and I don't think it was ever God's intention for people to treat his name that way. That's not prescribed in Scripture in any way. That was totally a tradition thing. But the Bible is constantly talking about proclaiming his name and making his name known among the nations. I I think God wants his name out there. I don't think it's inappropriate for us to say Yahweh. Can I just ask those out there? I know know an acquaintance who um, is a Messianic Jew, and they won't even write God. Like, they write G. G G-D. Yeah, I've seen that. Is that similar? It's a similar concept? Yes, it's the exact same concept. Is that why? I love love that attitude. Like, that... That, that he is so holy that I won't even inscribe his name. That also goes back to the no graven images thing. Yeah. Because writing his name is almost like drawing a picture of him. You know what I mean? And so they wouldn't even do that. They just wouldn't. The problem with that whole idea of G-D is the only reason they didn't put vowels in the Hebrew writing of the Hebrew language is because... They wanted to save space. <laughs> they didn't do it out of some kind of reverence. They never used vowels ever in the always, in the Hebrew language. It always language. throws me because um, cuss words have different symbols, and so when I'm looking at it, it's like a symbol. I know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not gonna lie. Right <laughs> on my face. That's what I thought. That was goes. people like using God's name in vain yeah. without using God's yeah. name no. in vain. No, it's not. I was like, okay. well, it might be for some people. I don't know, but for this particular person, I highly yeah. doubt. Well, like articles online, I saw. Um, for our journal, it was like, geez, Sashi, I was like, why does it say that? If you're doing apologetics, then it's probably because they were probably some Messianic Jewish people that yes. were writing things. The other thing, uh, like, you should always capitalize the name of God. Yeah. And or you, even, yes, if you're pronouns, if you're referring to God, should be capitalized, which are very important. And that's They'll catch you in college for that kind of what stuff. What do you mean? If you don't do it. Like when you're saying he. If you say he is good, you should capitalize the H. Yeah. Even in the middle, or I was doing this and he spoke to me, he should be capitalized because you're talking about God. That's the yeah. The bothers me sometimes when like I read scripture and it doesn't have like he capitalized. Yeah. Like it's weird. You should. You would think it should, don't you? I mean, like they make us do it. Why don't they do it in? But in the Bible, in the Bible, it's not. In the Bible, they don't capitalize. It depends on the translation. Like, I have a few translations on my iPad that do actually They do? Yeah. Those are the only right ones. Yeah. I think New King James is one of them. There are some that are right. It's just funny because those are more, like, literal. Okay, sorry. Romans chapter 7. I'm kidding. Thank you very much. Now we should. You guys read 9 and 10 this week. Yeah. I will catch up, I promise you. But I but I want to give real time to at least chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 6. 
in chapter five. Well, in <laughs> all the chapters, you know, they deserve it. So we will catch up. We will. We're actually going to dip into eight a little bit, just because of the last part of seven. I think you cannot read the last part of chapter seven without reading the first part of chapter eight. Because I don't think you're going to fully understand it. But we have some things yeah. to get to through blah, 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 before we get there. And chapter right. divisions are man-made, not God-made. Very so true. Very yes, true. sometimes you have to keep going. For instance, the first seven verses of chapter 7, in my opinion, really belong to chapter 6. Because he's ending his discussion about how you are dead to Christ and alive to God. He just uses... He, 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 he again switches metaphors, which Paul's very good at using multiple metaphors to get at the same reality. And now he's talking about how you are bearing fruit unto God and not unto sin anymore. That that's you, Your ability to bear fruit for sin is over and, you're, and you are now one who bears fruit unto God, which is awesome and beautiful and, and wonderful, but we're going to kind of skip it. Um, because it really belongs to the last chapter, not this one. Um, I would have started the chapter division right here um, at verse 7. Because here at verse 7, he, he is going to start talking about why the law is not good enough and what the law does in those that have not experienced the gospel. Okay, The power of the law to make sin worse than it actually than it was before the law came along. This is a this whole chapter is just stinking controversial. I have to tell you, there theologians will argue over this this chapter for like ever. They, they just they, this chat all of it. There's actually two pieces to it, and both pieces can be you know thought of and talked about in completely different ways. I'm going to give you my view, but I would definitely. Um, just because I don't have time to give you like a balanced multi-view approach, and because I don't agree with the other ones, um, but, um, but there are other ones. There are other ones, and I would definitely, I if I would go out and read them. I, I I don't want you to just pick up my view of this, especially the second half of this chapter, and just run with it because Pastor Josh is cool, okay, or whatever. You know, um, um, I, I want you to I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to get some other people's opinions. I want you to go read the scripture over and over again in context and say, what was he saying? What does this mean, really? You know, pay the price to understand this text. It, it's worth it. It's worth it. No time spent on Bible study is pointless. What version are you reading out of? Uh, uh, the English Standard Version, that's all this, okay? I will. That's my default version. If I use a different version, I will tell you that one. If I if I don't tell you the name of the version, then speak. All right. The power of the law. Let's let's go ahead and read that first few um, verses there from seven. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity, through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. That's a mouthful of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved 
to be death to me. For sin, seizing opportunity, through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So, alright, let's just stop before 12. This is, a, this is rough. Are you, did you read this? I mean, the Apostle Paul is just aiming his guns right at the law and saying, that is what destroyed me. I wasn't doing good, but that made me, that completely destroyed me. That, that thing right there just wrecked my life, is what he's saying. That's, that's just, this is something God gave to them. You need to understand the respect and the awe that the Jewish people had of the law and the prophets, the word of God. If they were ever going to be guilty of idolatry, it was of the scrolls that they would carry around. I mean, they would literally, to this day, when they bring the scrolls out of the back of the synagogue, and they're still scrolls, by the way, they're not books, although you can... But in the synagogue, they bring a scroll out that's like this big, and it's like got gold on it and everything, and they will walk it around the altar, singing prayers, and then they put it down on the thing before they ever open it and read it. Because it's so holy, it's so revered, it's so held high, the oracles of God that came through. In fact, they will not even say, the law says this. Not Orthodox Jews today will not even say that. They will say, the law spoke to the scribes, the scribes spoke to the, the, uh, the wise men, and the wise men tell us this. So they don't even, they do not, they would not dare interpret the scripture themselves. They have to have the help of these people that came before them. And they, they will not, they'll say things like, it is written, you know, when they're having an argument. But m real Orthodox Jews won't even go that far. They would say, well, the, the, the scribes say that the law said such and such. It's this whole thing, it's because the law is so magnified in their eyes. And here's Paul, okay, talking to those people. Remember, he's not just talking to Christians. In fact, in this particular chapter, he's mostly speaking to Jewish people, although it speaks to us as well. What shall we say then, that the law is sin? Remember, he keeps asking himself questions that he knows that they're going to ask him. This is like the seventh or eighth time in Romans that he's done that. By no means, yet... If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing opportunity, through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. That sentence, apart from the law, sin lies dead. That is, that's double barrels in the head of a Jewish philosopher. Well, you know, excuse me? <laughs> Sin, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Are you kidding me? How dare you? I mean, it, this is really offensive stuff. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What? Oh my gosh. Okay, Paul is launching a full-out assault on their idolatry of the law, and he's revealing to them that their view of the law as a as a saving thing is is 
a, a, an incorrect view. Okay? They looked upon the law as something that saved them. And the Apostle Paul is saying it was never that. It was never supposed to be that. The law was never meant to make you any better than you are. It was not given for the point of saving you. The law was given to condemn you. That's the point of the law. That's why it is there. Remember, it's the whole, you have to be this high to ride sign. That's what it's for. Is that sign there to let people on? It's to keep people out. If they wanted to let people on, they wouldn't put the sign there at all. And then everybody could walk on in and ride the ride. But they don't want everyone to ride the ride. They only want people that meet a certain standard to ride the ride. And so they put the sign there. Right? Okay? That's the law. And the Apostle Paul is trying to wake people up to this reality because what they have done is what we always do with the law. They have turned it into their ticket to heaven. The, the means by which they are counted righteous. And it can never be that. Because it's always going to condemn you every time. The law will you'll never stand up against the law and have them go, yep, you're good. No, that will never happen. You personally, every, every human being on the earth, Christian or non-Christian, cannot measure up. We don't have the ability because Jesus was the standard from which the law was taken. Okay, We can't do it. The, the absolute call of the law is perfection and nothing less. Now, what did God give the, the Israelites when they were at the mount? Okay, He gave them the law, but is that all that He gave them? Yeah, the law is like the Ten Commandments and the, and the other things, all of the other rules that he gave to their, to, to their people. But there's something else that he gave them at the same time that isn't law. It's a method of salvation, and it's called the sacrificial system. Okay? This is the law, but because you don't live up to it, This is how you will see your sin forgiven. You have to bring a goat. You have to bring a lamb. You have to put your sin upon it. You have to send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. You have to kill the, the lamb and you have to shed its blood and you have to plead the blood over the, over the Ark of the Covenant, okay, etc., etc. Do you understand that that's not law? That is God's answer for, I know you don't measure up. The law's job has always been the same. Always, 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 always. To show you, you don't measure up. That's the point. That's why it's there. You don't measure up. Period. It's a, it's a forever statement to the fact that we cannot measure up. Can't. In our own strength, in our own ability, it is impossible. And God... That's why the law exists. And because of that, that is beautiful and holy. Why? Because it shows us our need for a Savior. Yeah. 
we are unable to avoid the truth that we need God's help. That we can't do this ourselves. You run smack into the law over and over again, and you lose every time, and eventually you're going to go, I can't do this! And God's like, finally! Finally! Let's talk about the Sermon on the Mount real briefly. Okay? Because we aren't going to have a chance to talk about it in this Bible study, we're going to be doing the Epistles of Paul this whole time. Matthew chapter 5 is precious. You what, should spend... What year memorizes that? First, first, first year is memorized. That's Part beautiful. One we did last it's yeah. precious. Mm-hmm. It's precious beyond price. Don't just memorize it. Tattoo it on your soul, okay? Get it. Let it. Oh, let it. Just, and what's the first beatitude? Um, I had to go back two weeks ago, didn't you? <laughs> the, you should. You should. You should. You should have this. I'm trying to remember. The very first one Jesus begins with. Very good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Very good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the beatitudes. To 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 beatify means to bless or to be happy. Okay, it means blessed and beatitudes are all the blessed are the statements that Jesus made in that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's really blessed. Yes, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It's one thing to memorize it, folks. If you don't know what it means, forget memorizing it. It does not help you at all. If you don't know what it means, stop. don't memorize it. I mean it. You are filling your head with useless facts. Knowledge puffs up, but the Spirit gives life. What does it mean? So are weak in spirit, people who aren't strong in their spirit, people who the righteousness doesn't come easy to, people who... Sin easily. The ones who aren't good enough. The people that have the realization of how much they need Jesus. Absolutely. All those are correct. (laughs) But I like that one the best. It's people that have gotten to that place. I can't do this. I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing to offer you, God. I'm poor. I'm, I'm empty. I've got nothing. You know, Jesus responds to those people was always, grace, mercy, I'm coming after you, I love you. But who are the the rich in the Spirit? Were the people that Jesus had nothing good to say about. The people that walked up to Jesus going, I'm righteous. You know, you should want to hang out with me. Because I am such a great guy. You know, Jesus was looking at them going, are you kidding me? The woman caught in adultery received his blessing and his forgiveness and his empowerment to go and live a new kind of life. Okay, that's uh, that's that's that'll preach right there. Okay, that'll preach. He looks at her, says, "Where are your accusers?" She says, "They've all gone." This is what he says to her. Neither do I condemn you. If he had stopped there, he would not be a loving Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. It's not enough. That's, that, that's great. And that's where most of the church lives, is in the neither do I condemn you place. Oh, you sinned? Grace. Now go, go. See you later. Have a great day. That's not where Jesus stopped. He said, neither do I condemn you. 
Go and sin no, no more. Okay, now when he said that, go and sin no more, let me help you out. Okay? Because if we only understand those words as advice for your future life, <laughs> okay, then we do not understand the man who spoke them to her. Because this is the man who said, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. What happened when he said that? Exactly. Do you think anybody else could have stood in front of that tomb and said, hey, Lazarus, come out of the tomb, and had him walk out of the tomb? No. Nobody else in the, in the world can stand in front of a grave and say, get up. Okay? Nobody. But Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And there will be a day, Jesus said, when he will say, get up, and everyone who's ever died will get out of their graves. How creepy and awesome and cool is that? Isn't that so great? Okay? We talked about that last week, right? Okay? Jesus has the power of life and death, and Jesus can command life into dead places. He did it for you when you heard the gospel for the first time. The very one who said, let there be light. You know, I say let there be light, and the, the, you know, the, the power goes out, right? Okay? Jesus says, let there be light, and light, which never existed before this moment, comes into existence, okay? That's the power of God. And this was Jesus leaning over this young lady and saying, go and sin no more. And in that command was the grace for her to do exactly that from that point forward. Without that release and that power from Jesus, she would have gone right back to where she'd been before. But Jesus spoke to her, and he gave her the grace to stand up and walk out and be a different person than she was before. How many of you have watched Les Miserables? Yeah? Okay. Love it. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. The music is beautiful. That's all fine and good. But I'll tell you why I was weeping at the end of it. I was, I was weeping because we have Javert who is the law. Javert is the law. Javert is, if you don't live up to the standard, you will burn, you must burn, and if I don't live up to the standard, I will burn. That's the way the law is. Uncompromising, no grace. This is how it is. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you're hurting. You screwed up, so you deserve to die. That's Javert. Okay, that's who he is. And you see what fruit comes off of his life. Everywhere he goes, destruction, and, and people's lives are being crushed, and in the end, what happens to him? Exactly. His own death comes from his own way of life. The law eventually, it ruins your whole life and then it kills you. That's what the law does and that's who Javert was. But look at Jean Valjean. Spoiler alert. Look at Jean Valjean. You won't make it to the movie. No, you won't because it's three hours of singing. It's all singing. There's no dialogue. No dialogue at all. I own it. And it's not like it's you know it's all singing like you know it's like you know it's just like oh my gosh. You're too good at that. My mother is a voice teacher. Okay, so I do know. Okay, it's like this. Gladiator's chasing the Wolverine, and he meets 
Catwoman, who has um, a baby, or and then and then yeah, and then Wolverine raises Catwoman's baby, who grows up to be the star of Mamma Mia. Bam! Like that's how we do. That's true. Okay. Those are the actors of the that are in the other films. My my way. I I mean, she was the star of Mamma Mia, but I always like to think of her as the stupid girl from Mean Girls. The one whose breasts can tell if it's raining, okay? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's already raining. But she's yeah. such a good actress, she's that's what's great. crazy. No question, she's fantastic. <laughs> and she's, and, yeah. And she's got an incredible voice. Yeah. As long as you can forget every other movie they were in, it's great. Oh, yeah. But if you're really stuck on The Princess Diaries, Gladiator, and all these other movies, you're going to have a horrible experience. Okay, so anyways, back anyway, to Okay, Jean okay? Sinner. Broken man, done horrible things, okay? Grace steps into his life, okay? Is he Through the priest, yeah, okay? Wolverine. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. He's been in prison for eight years. He gets out of prison. He, he is a marked man. He'll never be able to get a job anywhere. He is, his life is ruined, okay? And he goes to this church, and the priest takes him in and feeds him and gives him a place to stay. And in the middle of the night, Hugh Jackman wakes up, steals all the priest's silver, and leaves. Okay, they drag him back. Javert drags him back to the priest. Says he says that you gave him all this silver. The priest looks down at him and says, "You what? What were you thinking? You forgot the nicest piece of silver I have." And hands it to him and says, "I did give him all the silver, which he didn't." Okay, Javert's like, "But, but, but!" It's like you got a problem. See, you know. So Javert has to leave. Jean Valjean is undone. I just, you helped me, and then I stole all of your worldly goods, and now you're giving more to me. I don't understand. And it's in that moment that Grace enters into to Jean Valjean's life, okay? And he says in that moment, I'm no longer Jean Valjean. And he throws, the, and his, he papers throws his papers away. I would like to clarify that, that, that Javert was never there when that happened. He was too. He wasn't. I thought he was. I've watched Les Mis. 16 times. I've only watched it once, but I thought it should have been anyway. Doesn't matter. Other police officers. It really doesn't matter. Okay? The police bring him back. Okay? In that moment, Grace encounters him and he becomes someone completely different. And he, if you look at his life, as he moves forward in life, everywhere he goes, low people are raised up. Everywhere he goes, poor people are helped. Everywhere he goes, Life becomes better for everyone around him. Why? Because I was giving something for free, and so I have to give my life away for free. That's what grace does in a life. It sets us free from all of this other stuff. We are given a new life for free, and now we can live giving away just as generously as it was given to us because we know we never earned any of this in the first place. And that, and at the end of the thing, I love it, I love it, I'm going to spoiler alert completely, but at the end of the thing, Jean Valjean and Javert has spent his entire life looking for Jean Valjean, basically. They're face to face, through a series of circumstances, Javert ends up in Jean Valjean's hands, Jean Valjean has a gun, he's supposed to kill him. Supposed to kill Javert. The grace, grace is supposed to kill the law, and he knows he knows if he lets Javert go that he's just going to turn around and be after him again. He knows it. He knows this. 
In fact, Shafir looks at him and says, this changes nothing if you let me go. I'm still going to come after you. I'm still going to try and kill you. You're still a lawbreaker. There's nothing I can... Shafir does not care. He says, as it was freely given to me, I'm freely given to you. And he lets him go. And this so messes with Javert's life, with his head. How can that man let me go when I've been so horrible to him that he kills himself? Because he just can't deal. Because that's what the law always does. When confronted with grace, the law goes, Ah, I don't get it! And he just completely dies. But in the church, this is what we do all the time. We, we look upon the law as our salvation. We look upon the law as that which keeps us in favor with God. And God's saying, that is so not what I ever wanted the law to do. That's not why I gave it to you. I gave you the law to show you you couldn't earn favor with me. That you had to just accept it from me by faith for free. That you needed my help. That's why the law exists. Not to exalt you, but to exalt me. But the church as a whole accepts the initial salvation and then still tries to continue. Oh, yeah. We, we totally work great with bringing sinners in and saying, you know, God, God forgives you for all that stuff. Well, some of us are. A lot, of, a lot of the church isn't even good at that. A lot of the church says, all right, come in here. Now clean yourself up. Which isn't what Jesus said at all. That's not what the, that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says, come in here and I will clean you. Amen. Okay? I will change you. I will clean you. I will redeem you in every way that you can possibly be redeemed. Okay? That's what the Bible says. And when you leave this place, and when you walk out of this place and you're changed, it won't be you that's glorified for that change. It will be me. And you're never going to be able to walk up to a dirty person and say, I'm better than you. Because you might not be a dirty anymore, but you're not clean because you made yourself clean. You are clean because it was given to you. And so every dirty person you encounter, you want to offer them the same grace that was given to you. Yeah. Because you were just like them. And the only reason you're not like them anymore is because God came and changed you. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because it's, it's only in the place of our understanding of our bankrupt state that God can meet us. And we think we're bringing something to the equation we've already lost. We've already lost. We aren't. We don't. We can't. That's why he was so good to give us the law. To show us over and over again, you can't do it without me. That's why the law is beautiful. That's why the law is righteous. That's why I love the law. Because it condemns me. So that I only have one out. And that's grace. You get it. Jewish culture and society as a whole had interpreted the law incorrectly. 
They looked upon it. They looked it at it as a ladder to climb up out of their sins, and that is not what it was. It was a light bulb to show them their sin. That's what it was. Have you ever seen the light shining through like a, a window and you can see the dust in the air? Well, you know that whether that light is there or not, there's dust in the air. Right? Mm -hmm. That's just the only time you can see it is when there's a bright light shining through it. Okay? Whether we can see our sin or not, it's there. It's there, and it's powerful, and it's strong, and it's destroying our lives. It's just until Jesus comes. Jesus is the air purifier. Okay? Jesus is not the li that light. He is the light. That's a different metaphor. Let's not mix our metaphors. In this metaphor, he's not the light. The law is the light in this metaphor. In this metaphor, he is the HEPA filter that is cleaning the dust from the air. The law is the light showing us that it's still there. Jesus changes the air. He doesn't reveal it. He changes it. And we've got to get that. That's the difference between the law and the gospel. They are two different species completely. And the law had a singular purpose, to reveal our need for the grace of God. That is, that's the whole point of the law. And Jesus, when he came, put the law on steroids yeah, he did. through the Sermon on the Mount. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you think that just because you obey the Ten Commandments that you're okay with me? No, 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 you don't understand the law. Because this goes way beyond what you actually do with your hands or your feet or your body. Let's talk about what's going on in here. Let's talk about what's going on in here. Because if you've done it here or here, then you've done it here. It's the same. And nobody ever taught that before Jesus. Jesus came along and said, You say I've never committed adultery, but I tell you that if you look at that person of the opposite sex and you imagine having sex with them, you have committed adultery with them. Done. You're just as guilty as every single other person that actually went out and did the act. Now what's up with your righteousness? Are you still righteous? No. Jesus magnified the law. That's why Jesus said, No, till heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or tittle of the word will pass away. I am not here... I am not here to do away with the law. I am here to fulfill it. I'm not here to tell you Moses was wrong. I'm here to tell you he was more right than you ever imagined and you can't do anything about it. Moses is not your friend. Moses is your accuser. He actually told that to the Pharisees one day. That they loved that. Ooh, that made them so mad. Because Moses was the cornerstone upon which their righteousness was built. Do you know why I'm such a great guy? Because all the laws of Moses, all 600 and whatever of them, are being followed by me flawlessly. And Jesus comes along and goes, no, Moses would accuse you. Can you imagine how, how that made them feel? <laughs> oh! You just boasted, so... <laughs> you know? 
Oh my gosh! That's a, what? I love Jesus was not kind to the I mean he was extremely kind. Okay? But they didn't he, he was you know what I mean? He wasn't tactful, that's for sure. But he couldn't have been. You have to understand that even when Jesus is lambasting those guys, you are whitewashed tombs. People walk over you thinking they're clean, but the very fact of your presence makes them unclean. That, see, that, that particular, we don't really get that particular moment when Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Okay, these were guys that because of the Jewish prohibition against touching a dead body, they would walk miles out of their way to not enter a cemetery. And here's Jesus' job. Here's what Jesus said. Oh, you'll walk miles out of the way to avoid a cemetery? You are a cemetery. Ouch. And not only that, you're a hidden cemetery that nobody even knows is a cemetery, and you are cursing everybody that touches you. You make them unclean by your very presence, and you never knew it, and neither do they. But I do. Ouch. That's so terrible. <laughs> See? I knew Jesus was... Just like he did not, you know, he didn't pull any punches. He was not afraid of man at all. He was just like, Excuse me! He was just not politically correct. I just, I wish, I just want to see, like, I just want to know what he, I obviously know what he said and what he's like, but like to sense like his personality. You know what I mean? Because like words are the same, but to see how he carried himself would have been so awesome. What, you know what I love? I wonder what he would do if he was I, I love getting crap. I love getting glimpses of this. Obamacare? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I gotta say about I love, Obamacare. I love getting glimpses. I, I don't know. I think we're not gonna go there. Um, Wait, I think I missed that. We're not going to go there. What would Jesus have to say to the political world of today? He would go, Republicans, you're greedy jerks that only care about money. And Democrats, you're idiots who have no regard for the law. And, and, and basically every single one of us would be condemned by the holiness yeah. of Jesus. And, and that's what I love about him. <laughs> I, Jesus, I love the stuff, the stuff about Jesus. I love these glimpses of his value system that we get. Um, for instance, what ticks Jesus off? Sin. Well, no. no. The thing that made him the most mad was people, was the, the two times that Jesus got really ticked in Scripture, okay? Both happened the same way. He walked into the temple and the area of the temple that was reserved for women and for the the non-Jewish men okay. was full to the brim with people selling stuff and cheating them. Okay. And Jesus got really mad. He made a whip out of ropes and beat the crap out of everybody until they left. That's pretty intense. <laughs> We'd call the psycho band nowadays. We'd call okay. You know what I mean? Like, we and this is what he said. <laughs> My father's house was meant to be a house of prayer for all the nations, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. This is a place set aside for the worship of God by the people beyond your little Jewish party that you're having here. 
And for women, which Jesus loved women, everywhere went Jesus went, women were, were exalted, lifted up, placed on equal footing with men, which never happened. That was one of his most scandalous realities, was what Jesus did to the women around him. You women, whoa, hold on, Jesus, you can't, you can't treat women with respect. Jesus is like, whatever, I love it. And people that, people that will say that Christianity demeans women know nothing about Jesus. They know nothing about him. The only reason women have anything close to equal rights now is because of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Every other religion Amen. in the Amen. world disrespects women. All of them, especially Islam. But we're not going to go there. <laughs> I think that's your first world view study is Islam. It's, okay, sorry. Sorry it's, it's hideous what Islam does to women. It's disgusting. And, and Jesus would have really, really hated it. Okay, but anyway, that that what makes Jesus mad? Two things. Number one, you are cutting off access for people to come to God. Anyone. Why was Jesus mad at the Pharisees? Not so much that they thought themselves righteous, although that was that really made them mad. <laughs> wasn't his? Wasn't their hypocrisy so much that made him mad? It was that the. They built walls to keep people away from God. If you're not as good as me, you might as well not even talk to him. In one of Jesus' best tirades, okay, he says to them, you, you hypocrites, you would travel a thousand miles to make a convert and you would make them twice the son of the devil that you are. Okay? And then he says to them, you pile up Burdens on men's backs, and you lift not one finger to help them. Mm. See, they didn't understand the law. They thought the law is my road to my own glory. When it was the exact opposite, it was God saying, No man will ever be glorified in the presence of my ultimate standard. No one can stand up against this and say, I, I measure up. Nobody except for Jesus himself. That's the point of the law. So when the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, we are still talking about Romans chapter 7. All of this has been talking about Romans chapter 7. In, in, when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, That the law made sin more powerful in me. Okay? He is pointing at this reality. He's not saying the law is evil. He's saying that my broken human nature, before I was saved, the law came in and it didn't help me. It made me worse. That's what the law always does. When broken human nature comes up against the revelation of God, which is what the law is, we get worse, not better. We do not have the ability to respond correctly to the revelation of God without Christ. We don't. We do one of two things. We either rebel. Oh, that's the law? Screw it. I'm not going to care. I'm walking the other way. You know, here, you know. You put your middle finger up at God and you walk away and say, I'm going to live the way I want to. In fact, 
the Apostle Paul talks about, when I heard about covetousness, I said, I'm going to do all the coveting I want. And I, you know, I started ordering catalogs just to covet what was in them, okay? That <laughs> covetousness, okay, for, for me, I honestly believe that covetousness is one of the greatest sins in the United States, and we don't ever talk about it. We just don't. But I'm going to be preaching about it Words in a few weeks. To covet something is to see something someone else has and desire it for yourself okay. to abstraction. Like to the point where you're like upset. whatever you can. So what if you just it. see like, like a fresh pair of shoes and you're like, oh, those are tired. I have to get some of those. It's one thing to go, hey, those are cool. It's another to like desire them to the point where it makes you angry that they have it and you don't. Oh, okay. So well, we like do you, that a lot easier than we think we that's do. Like the, we do it like that. I mean, every time I watch an Apple keynote. I'm so lost that sweatshirt. I want Seriously, so I gotta yeah. stop watching them Apple keynotes because all I want is a freaking I can't watch them. I can't watch them. I, I do, but I shouldn't because as soon as I do, I'm like, ah! I hate everyone with a mouth. Ah! I'm not gonna lie. Every time I see someone with we a mask, I'm gonna punch him in the face. Nathan loves Apple Keynote. I do too. He gets so I, I do too. I watch him and I watch oh, him a couple so times. <laughs> okay, that's when they announce a new product or a new product line or. Uh, they do them so often. They're so good. New iPads. It's like a conference. New iPads, but it's new so iMacs. Much and everybody's freaking out. Like they'll show it, and look, it clicks like this, and everybody's like, "Woo!" You know, <laughs> and you are too. You're going, "This is how." When I saw the keynote for Mavericks, I was like, why do I have to wait five months to get it? Yeah, Nathan, like, Nathan stays up late to watch. Like, everything they make is incredible, but that I just okay. can't financially afford it. I know, exactly. and that's when I come so in. I'm like, everyone with a MacBook, I literally just want to punch in the face. I don't even get excited. Like, you know, take your MacBook and We're talking about covetousness. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's like I missed Okay, so let's go back to this to this understanding right here because... It's already 11 o'clock and we have a very big thing to talk about, okay? When the law encounters sinful nature, we have one of two responses. Number one, we either rebel, and that's, you know, that's when we just walk away. Yeah. Or, we say, that's my ladder to exalt myself. Ooh, snap. Okay? Those are our two responses, Okay? That's my way to justify me. And I will, I will glorify me via that vehicle. Okay? And that, those, are, those are the two human responses to the law. And the one we would call rebellion. The other one we would call religion. Yeah. Martin Luther says that religion is the default mode of the human heart. We have to constantly, we need real revelation of the gospel to not walk either of those ways. Remember we talked about the two thieves on the other side of the gospel? Okay, this is the same understanding. When the law comes in, our response, if we view the law in any other way, then this is the standard that shows me I must have Jesus. If it does anything but humble you, then your response to it is broken. Because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to lay you low, to push you down, to make you understand who you really are, 
so that you turn to the only one who can help you. That's the point. Okay? But the normal human responses do not work that way. Normal human response to the law is, oh, that's your line, I'm going to step over it. Or, let me. that's your line, I'm going to meet it so fully that, I, that you owe me. Okay? Either way, we are trying to be God. Okay? If we go the one way, we're trying to be God saying, I will rule my own life and you can't tell me otherwise. That's one way to be your own God. The other way to be your own God is to so fulfill those things, I'm going to check off every single check mark and I'm not going to do any of the don'ts so that I can walk before God and say, you owe me. I paid my taxes, quote unquote. I paid my dues. I did everything right. Now you owe me favor. Okay? Which isn't true. We know that. I'll get to your question in a sec. We know that that's not... I mean, we know because Jesus made it incredibly clear that that is not true. But we still do it. We still build this, like, pile of brownie points. Well, I fasted for two weeks. Yeah? Okay? We'll talk about fasting at another time, because it's important that you understand the biblical reasons why we should fast. But they have nothing to do with proving how awesome you are. That's what I'm trying Okay? In fact, it's the opposite. It's to reveal to you how completely dependent you are. <laughs> Without food, you become a horrible person. Okay, That's one of the reasons why we fast. Okay? I am, I am definitely one of those people. I, if I don't eat... What was your word, Sophie? Hangry? Hangry. Hungry, angry. Hangry. That's me. Are you hungry? Huh? Are you implying you're hungry? Uh -huh. you're yeah, I'm going to lunch in a minute, so I'm, talk I'm talking about fasting. Do you want her question now? Before yes, you go. Um, what about when like other people bring the law to you to show you how you're not like measuring up to it, or you're not living to it? What's a godly response? Is that your question? No, I'm asking: Is it godly for them to do that? Depends what their motive is. Like if it's spiritual leadership over your life. And they bring it to you and, and kind of are saying, like, you're not measuring up to this. You're not, you're not doing it. Especially, but what if you've already expressed that you know you're not measuring up and you're working on it and God's working on your heart, but then they bring it up time after time? Well, like how, is that biblical? Is that not biblical? When spiritual authority brings a standard to you and says you're not meeting it, mm -hmm. your first response needs to be humble, you know, contrition and mm -hmm. repentance. Okay, yeah. You're right, I'm not. I'm not talking about you guys. And, just and, and, okay. and I want, <laughs> and, and I desire to, so. you know, I want to. But it's very difficult for me. And asking them for help, or, you know, asking them to pray for you, or asking for grace out of that place, you'll probably get a pretty good response from any spiritual leader who is not abusive. A spiritual leader that is abusive is not going to care what your response is. He just wants to wield the yardstick to beat you with so that he can remain exalted yeah, over you. spiritual leader. Okay. That was very helpful. Thank you. And that happens what a lot. What do you do in response to somebody who is like wielding the yardstick or, or even when you say, like, I know I struggle with this. I'm so sorry if it's affected, you know, my work in ministry, but I'm working on it. And then they're just like... <clears throat> 
they continue to like use it against you or whatever. Yeah. What do you do at that point? It's very, very, it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, <clears throat> you have to take it to the Lord, okay? And you have to say, God, what do you want me to do? But you have, and depending on what the Lord says to you, if, if you're released to step out from under that place of leadership, okay, do so without speaking any word against that person. Do so without, you know, yeah. in every possible way that you can keep, stay on good terms with that person and without telling anyone around them, okay. you know, your, your issues, your misgivings, that would be the stupidest thing for you to do. You're just killing yourself. Okay. Then step out. But if God says, I, I don't want you to go anywhere, okay, then you stay. And you deal. Now, does that mean you don't talk to this leader? No. You do. Respectfully, quietly, always with the full understanding that, yes, I don't measure up. But it's difficult for me to understand your motive in this when yeah, okay? you to that leader alright hopefully they'll hear you but if they're this kind of person they probably won't and if God's not releasing you to step out then you stay and you deal and unfortunately I mean think about think about David okay we had the worst leader is, well, a, a terrible leader, not the worst leader in Israel's history, but... No, not the worst, but... No. but, but no. A terrible leader in King Saul. Mm-hmm. And up until the end of his life, David wouldn't speak a word against him, not one. I won't touch the Lord's anointed. I won't. And David mourned his death and killed the man... Who killed Saul? This was a man that was after David with spears more than once through spears in David's direction, sent men out to kill him. He had to hide in it. For seven years, David's hiding in a cave. To stay away from this guy. And at the end of his life, David's mourning his death. Are you kidding me? Who was this guy? But that That's a whole other. If you, there's a, there's a very short book <laughs> called The Tale of Three Kings that talks really about this, about David's role with Saul and then his response to Absalom as well, which is. Gosh, that, no. I'm about to read that. Actually. It'll rip you to shreds. I have it. Yeah, Be ready. I'm about to read it. it will rip you to shreds. I literally sat there going, "Ouch!" Yeah, ouch, it's really painful. Going, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to get broken. <laughs> well, it's actually, somebody gave it to me and was like, it's a, it's, it's a tale of three kings, a tale of, bro- or story of brokenness, yeah. or something is like what it actually said. It's about brokenness. Yeah, and it's, it will break you. Okay. Usually you're already broken. Just going to break you some more. Um, I heard a story from, from Timothy Keller, which you're going to hear his name from me a lot, because because you are, and because we're in Romans. Um, he talked about a lady who was not yet saved. She was, she was listening to the gospel. She was intrigued. She was headed toward the gospel, but she wasn't there yet. And she came to him, and she said to him, 
this salvation by grace thing is really hard for me. And he said, you know, oh yeah, really, why? And she said, because if I'm not doing anything to earn it, then God can ask me to do anything and I can't say no. Mm-hmm. You know? Because he, he bought your life. Yeah. Well, and I, I hadn't I didn't add to it. I owe he owes me nothing and I owe him everything and he this puts me in a position where he owns me. Really, truly. I, I can't I can't say no. This was a lady that was, she wasn't even saved yet. But that's why she couldn't. But she had heard, she was saying, I haven't made this decision to follow Christ yet because I know where that puts me. That puts me in a place where I can't say no to him no matter what he asks me. I can't say no. That's scary too when you've had people in your life use that kind of power and be abusive towards it. But we have to remember God's not that way. Thankfully Jesus isn't that way. Praise God he's not that way. It's amazing that she's not even saved yet, and she already understands something that most people that have been saved. She gets for a it that most Christians do not get. It's just like how many times has this happened? Something really crappy happens in your life, and you're turning around going, "God, I serve you. God, I've done everything for you." And then this happens to me. You know, you can't say that if you really understand what the gospel has done. You can't say, God, you owe me good stuff. You know, God's going to be like, I don't know you, Jack. You owe me. Yeah. <laughs> what? At what point does Jesus owe us anything? You know, Jesus owes us nothing. And so whatever comes is still grace because it's not hell. Yes? And not only is it grace because it's not hell, but it's grace because the truth is, the Bible teaches us that through all of those difficult things, He's leading us to greater joy and greater understanding of who He is. That's so hard to swallow. It is really hard to swallow. And there are moments where I don't swallow it at all. Where I just look at that reality and say, I don't care! You tick me off! And then I crawl back later. And go, I'm sorry, I'm such an idiot. It's like, but I love you, it's okay. I'm like a dog. What was that? Or a little kid. My, my, my daughter, my daughter, this angel right here on the front of my... That uh, angel right there. She's completely precious, but she's got such a temper. And she'll be like... She'll be like... She'll come over and, and bite you. <laughs> oh, and gosh. Wow. I know, I know. And, and, and then she'll go away, and later she'll come back, and she'll be so totally repentant. I love you, Daddy. So love you. So, you know, How cute. I don't allow that kind of rebellious behavior to go unconfronted, you know? When she does that, I look at her and I say, "And I say, you are being naughty, and you need to stop it, or I'll even spank her if she bites or something like that. I'll spank her." Um, you know, I don't. It's not about punishing her. It's about waking her up to what you're doing right now is unacceptable behavior. 
But then when she comes back, you know, I will never reject an, a repentant heart, and neither will the Lord. Because oh, I was, was going to ask, yeah, we were talking about, um, I think when you two were talking specifically about, like, we can never measure up. Yeah. But you have to, but it's not an excuse to not attempt. Yeah. To Not to measure up to the law, but to attempt to live, to be like Christ. You know what I mean? And so many people are lost in that. They. But when, okay, but we're taking the yardstick out of this the equation, okay? We need to understand that the law, we're not attempting to measure up to the law anymore. Right. That's not, the law is no longer the standard by which we're measured. We need to understand that. It's not. No longer. Okay? Now, we are going to walk out our life out of a place of gratefulness and joy and wisdom. Okay? And we can go back to the law and gain wisdom from it now, but it is no longer condemning us. So it is a mistake for a Christian to try and measure up to the law again later. It just is. You shouldn't, shouldn't do it. shouldn't. Go to the law and learn its wisdom because the law had two purposes, really. I mean, one was... Um, the, the, the primary purpose was to show us you're never going to measure up. But the reality is that God was just saying, this is what I'm like. Yeah. And so now our approach to the law is completely different. It's like, oh, okay. And I can go and say, you know, it's, th there's such wisdom. This is the way to live life joyfully and to be like God is to, you know, walk according to this. But it's not what we're being measured against anymore. Okay. So we, need, we should not think of it that way anymore. Now, it is. It's just lighting the path to lead us to Christ-likeness. And that's what it does now. What, what I think of, too, is like it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you trying hard. Yeah. So it's like the closer... For me, when I try first to be patient, to be kind... I fail every time, yes. but if I just fall on my face and I'm like, God, I can't do this, and I allow a spirit in my life, then naturally I'm patient, naturally I'm kind. Yes. But if I try to go about it the other way, I mean, I'm literally just, what's the phrase? I know I'm going to get this wrong. People are going to laugh at me. Pig in sheep's clothing? A wolf in sheep's clothing, that's what I'm really like, because it's like I'm acting kind and I'm acting sweet, but really in my heart, I'm not. Right. It's absolutely true. I'm you, no, <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere somewhere else there. For a There's another pig in sh word that that is something else. Oh, we were like, I was like, whoa, okay. Censorship. Let's talk about the, uh, living a life of grace here, and uh, that doesn't Let's just backtrack some because I think you misinterpreted this entire message. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now. Now, I want you to read, somebody, somebody read uh, uh, Romans 7, and, and start at verse, let's see, where do I want you to start? Fourteen. Do you want, what version? I don't care what version. 
Start at verse 14 and I'll stop you. End at verse 20. Okay. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. For what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present within me, or with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it. What version was that? So, yeah. do you, All is to do what is... Do you understand what, that version? No. Yeah, then why are you reading it? It's called my only Bible. It's 2002 for my... So go, 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 go to the lost and found and get another one. Can I read the ESV? Yes, please do. Read that, please. Go ahead. I was going to ask myself. I think she read... Go ahead, just go ahead and read all the way to the end of the chapter. New King James. Go. Yeah, this is the ESV. Go ahead. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Stop right there. Stop right there. Ooh, Paul understands this. Okay. Yeah, this is what... Oh, does he? I don't ever... I want you to read chapter 8. Just the... just Not the whole thing. Start... Start... Uh, start with... Um, start with verse 1. Me? Uh, yeah. And read to... Uh, read to verse 8. 8. There yeah. is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Is he describing the same person in chapter 8 that he was describing in chapter 7? He's describing his flesh in chapter 7, and he's describing... So he's like schizophrenic? No, No, I think in chapter 7 like he's acknowledging the sinful nature and like that it's there, but in chapter 8 he's saying that at the same time, Christ has made us dead to that. Okay. Let me read one verse to you. Okay. From each of them. And I want you to just tell me what what you think. Okay. Verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. I do not understand my own actions. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. Okay, let's go to the next chapter. 
Okay. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Is this the same person talking at the end of 7? I am of the flesh. And then at 8, he says, those that are of the flesh cannot please God. Is he talking about the same person? No. It's like a before and after. Exactly. Chapter 7 is a description of someone who is dead in their sin. And chapter 8 is a depiction of how we are now. Therefore, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Okay? He is, this, chapter 7 is not a description of Christian life. It's not. That's important. That Almost, now, this, this is a huge, huge is this the part you're talking Fight. about? This yes. There are the, this is well, it's, it's my opinion and the opinion of many other theologians. Okay, but this is this is my interpretation because I read the end of chapter seven and I get zero hope and sin. It's like Ugh, the apostle Paul was like this. I can't please God. I have no ability to please God. I don't even know. I can't. I'm dead. Who's going to, oh, wretched man that I am, who will separate me from this body of death? Ah, that's the Apostle Paul. I'm screwed. Okay? This guy traveled the world to preach the gospel all over the world. The church today exists because of this man and his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's his life. And then you read chapter 8 and you're like, what happened? Did he like... Was, you know, did he have a big meal in between and now he feels better about himself? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> but he didn't did he take an antidepressant half, you know, between chapter 7 and chapter 8? What is the deal? It's two different voices. It's two different people. And if you go all the way back to verse 7 of chapter 7, you can see that he begins to identify as me with the person under sin. Right there. He begins to kind of revert to the to the persona of the person before the law or before the you know the 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 Jew who is dead in his sin saying this is what the law did in me I'm like this I'm like that I'm like this I'm like that and he ends that discussion with this whole thing at the end of chapter 7 Okay I can't do what I want to do I love the law of God but I can't follow it I want every time I try I screw up la, 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 la. and he gets to chapter 8 and all of a sudden he's like but that's not how it is anymore now through Christ Jesus our lord it's like this This is my opinion okay my interpretation of what is written there you are free to have a different interpretation but I'm right and you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but go wrestle it out. But please, pray this through. And I did not come to this quickly. This is something that I really chewed on for weeks. Because my whole life I had heard the other interpretation of this verse. And I would read it confused. Okay? Is the law of, of the spirit of life 
setting me free in Christ from the law of sin and death, or am I sold under sin? Because just a few verses before, it says, I am of the flesh, I am sold under sin. How can he say that there? And then here he says, but the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ from the law of sin and death. That's where I was, but it's not where I am. Right, but I think that's a daily like death, though. Too, I think that's what he's talking well, about. Well, that's like, the argument that people that espouse the other thing is that is that we're always, and and I get that that you know that we're we're on the move, you know, from from, you know, that we're that we're going from our old selves to our new selves. But when I read some of the stuff that's here, okay, this is either true or it's not. There's not. There's not a, uh, it's mine. Oh, sorry. No, I don't want to talk to you, Bill Smithers. Leave me alone. Oh. <laughs> I'll talk to him later. <laughs> but you're saying that he ends saying what, you know, what wretched man am I, but he doesn't really. He says, who will save me from, who delivers me from this? And he said, thanks be to Jesus Christ. So in my mind, he's actually talking about what you were talking about before. We said, you know, in our flesh and who we are, we're wretched. I think he's, in my mind, he's, Admitting I'm so nothing without Christ. Like, if he didn't Christ, go I'm so nothing. far as to say I am carnal, I am sold under sin, I might agree with you, but he did. Because if we're made, if we've been, we're saved, either we're not sold, sold under, under sin, sin or we're not. And that that language in the Greek, you know what it says? It says I am sold under sin. <laughs> it, that there's no break. It's not like we can say it. He's saying that he's in bondage to sin, and in the very first verses of chapter eight, he's saying he's not. That's why I can't. That's why I can't see it that way. That's that's my reasoning. Because as a Christian, I don't believe. I don't believe that. You're not. And he spends. He spends all. Struggle with things, but that's not my nature anymore. Exactly. And he spends all of Romans telling us you are not no longer a slave to sin, and then all of a sudden he says you are. So is it wrong to say like we are all sinners? Because that's why I've heard preachers preach like we're sinners. Well, I don't like that. I don't. I don't like that. I don't like. I don't. I don't. I don't want to point at myself and say I am a sinner. I don't like that. Because you will not identify with. That's not my identity anymore. I am a follower of Christ. That's what I am. Do I trip? Do I stumble? Do I fall? Am I complete? No. No, I'm not complete. Do I stumble and fall? Yeah, I do. But am I a sinner? No, not. And I. And I. Present it as this is who I was, but through Christ, this is who I am. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a new person. The work of the gospel is not completed me by any means, but sin no longer has any power over me. He just got finished saying in chapter six that we are dead to sin and alive to God. That doesn't jive with the end of chapter seven. It just Unless doesn't. He's talking about Unless He's talking about prior to salvation. That's my event. That's my view. That's my opinion. I can't read chapter eight and make it make sense with the end of chapter seven unless there's something that happened in the middle. Which would be salvation. Yes. I hear you saying that's him. I seek after God with my whole heart, and I know that I've given God my whole heart. And there's still times when I feel like this. There's still times when I will look at that line of cocaine. Well, I will look at something like that, and my flesh will want it. And I'm like, how can I want this? How can I desire this? And my flesh still wants that. Okay. So I kind of understand what he. I feel like I'm saying how he's feeling because I'm. 
I'm like, I want to do good, and I, I like, or I'll tell a lie or something, and I'll be like, how can you go back and do that? I totally understand where you're coming from. I really do. But this is a depiction of a person who is completely incapable of doing good at all. He's not capable. I cannot do what I want to do at all. There isn't any, sometimes I do good, sometimes I do bad. There isn't any, I see victory, but I don't. There's no balance in this description. It is just plain ugly all the way. Because what I you're am flesh, I am sold under sin. I do not understand what I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do do that sometimes, though. Now, I if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. See, it, I, I'm just, I can no longer read this and see, and see a, a person who's experienced grace. I can't. And that doesn't. I'm not saying that to condemn anyone or to make you think that. Oh well, then I haven't experienced grace. What I'm saying is that I don't think that's what Paul was was. I don't think Paul was describing the daily a Christian person. I don't think he was describing. Yeah, the, you're speaking about a struggle. He's writing about someone who lost the fight. Not just lost the fight, but who never entered the fight. Who's who's not fighting? Right. There's no. Who's already fight. just dead, just enslaved to sin. He sees the law. He's and he says, "I know I'm supposed to live up to that, but I can't." You're not trying to live up to the law. You're trying to live a relationship with Christ. That's it just if you read if you read the whole of Romans, read all of six. All of seven up to that place, and and eight, you're gonna say, okay, this all makes sense. If we just take that section out, it all completely makes sense. But if you put that section back in, you have to explain why it's there, because it doesn't make sense with the rest of Romans. It just plain doesn't. It it doesn't. If we're a, if if we're a new creation, then we're not asleep which is what we're going to talk about next week that's what I mean maybe that's why I'm getting confused because in my mind I'm like no I'm not a slave to sin because Christ is within me but at the same time there'll be times when I'll have alcohol around me or steal a line of cocaine or something and there's still part of my flesh that wants to go back to that of course that doesn't mean you're enslaved to sin the rest of Romans all talks about fleshly desires and denying them okay but it does not depict Christians as people who have no who have no ability to say no to sin and that end of chapter 7 really it does. It depicts a person who has absolutely no ability to say so maybe it's your, no. Maybe our definition of slave to sin. I have an ability to say no to sin, but sometimes I don't always win that fight. I mean, more often than that. He's not talking about a person that has the ability to win the fight. That's what I'm saying. He does talking about someone who's... He's talking about I guess that makes more sense. I guess you were saying that like you wouldn't... Like you would never feel that... That feeling, because like I feel that feeling sometimes. Like I do not know why I do the things I do, but I just do them anyways. Yes. But like it's not like an every single day I feel that way. It's more of about, a like, yeah. you know, like once every six months I'll give into a sin, and I'm like, how? Why would you do that? But if you look also at this person that's talking at the end of chapter seven, they have a wrong view of the law. That they're trying to be saved by the law. Yeah. Instead of saved. And Paul in verse eight is reasserting that correct view. And so that's my opinion. Again, like, I hear what there you're could saying. be... I, just think, I, I yeah. think you are saying what he's And you're not alone. Christian, not for an unbeliever. Like, I hear you're, what you're, saying. you're not alone at all in that opinion. There are, there are very studied scholars who agree with you. I'm just not one of them. If you read Barnes' uh, commentary, he believes this is a prior-to-salvation person. I, I just, But I read it, I can't see it. I just can't. I get it. I understand why people think it. Paul doesn't do a very good job of saying, oh, now I'm talking as a person before sin. 
at least not to us. If we read it from the first century Greek perspective, it might be completely clear. But, you know, when I read it in English, you know, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. So it's, it's a big argument, personally. I don't think it really matters that much in the end. I know who I am. And oh, I think it matters a lot. But I mean, I mean, as far as like my overall relationship with Christ, I don't think it matters because I know, I know that I can have victory over sin. I know that like He's made me promises as far as my future goes, and I know that when I get to heaven, I'm not gonna have to, you know what I mean, ever face yeah. those struggles again. But I, I'm assured of who I am in Christ. Sure. So but I'm in not that gonna sense, take. I mean, I don't think it matters. I'm, like I don't think we'll ever be able to fully 100% understand every part of the Bible to the extent. Sure that crisis, so it's, when I face something like this, I'm not like, if I don't understand this, the rest of my life is going to be ruined. No, I'm not saying you that. You just said that because you know all those things about yourself, you're not a slave to sin. I don't think so I'm a slave sin. to sin. I'm not but saying that. that. But, that but, order, okay. but that's where the argument is. In, in, order to put, just proved it right. in order to put that section and say that that section is a part of uh, is describing a Christian person, you have to you have to say that Paul is just exaggerating. That's what I that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that's what Barnes says too. He says he's just using hyperbole. He's just exaggerating. He's just but that is not like Paul. He doesn't do that. But doesn't that more accurately depict an unbeliever than an exaggeration yes. of a believer? Yes. And it does so not for me. It do, just doesn't jive with the rest of the. I book. don't have the kind of in between right now. I'm not like 100 like this has to be that. I'm just kind of like you're no. you're throwing something at me I've never heard before, and I'm not just going to jump on the. I don't like, want you Yay! to. I don't. I don't want you to. I really don't. I want you to have this discussion. I really do. But I'm also trying to to That's defend funny, my position because I've, I've walked through this. I've never read that as it's a believer. I have. That's what I've been taught to read it as my whole life. I've read it. Literally, as he's talking about the law. And literally, my whole life. That weren't Christians. So my my own, my own dad would have would would tell you that that's a believer. I've never read but it. But I can't. I just can't agree with it. There's quite a few things in Scripture that Dad and I are like, Ooh. What is that verse that we're talking about? I don't have I'm a strong seven. opinion either way. Seven. The end of it. You're like, I can't read the any of this. The end of chapter seven. The end of chapter seven. The end of chapter seven. That's yeah, such a weird interpretation. Go get a Bible from the Lost and Found and use it. <laughs> I'm going to take a Bible from Lost and Found. Yes, you can because it's they sit the in there for years. Yeah, for real. Well, well, once a year, my it. church just literally gives them away. We always do that. Yeah. We just, you know, it's like, yeah, here you All right. That's the end of verse. We'll get into verse 8 next week. Oh, actually, you know what? I won't be here next week. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. I'm really, it's it, okay. it hurts my heart, but I can't. Um, Are you gonna be busy? Next time, I, who's gonna punch me? I have to be. No, I have to be in a meeting that the people that have to be in that meeting could only meet at that particular time, and there's nothing. And and it's my boss. It's my boss asking me to be in that meeting. Well, both Pastor Barry and my dad are both asking me. So, but the thirteenth, right? So, are you in trouble? No. That's boring. Who's gonna lead our Bible study? Nate Miller. Somebody, he's, somebody, not even here today. he's not here. Somebody else can 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 lead it. Sophie should. I like We can have a Bible study on you know something different. Yeah, maybe we'll switch it up. Maybe we'll talk about some other stuff we've been reading. I vote Sophie. Not Revelations. I don't want to. Let's have one of our like last. Okay. Anyway, so we can decide that. Sophie, you should be one. On All right. Are there any this further questions, or are we good? This is. That's, I think we're good. Intense. I liked it. Good. That was cool. intense and awesome.
I hope that you guys are, are grabbing a hold of the gospel here. Yep. And uh, enjoying yes, it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, these, the book of Romans is such a pivotal book for me. It's it, it's really, really precious to me. Really, really precious to me. And um, it's probably the book in the of the Bible that I have that I'm closest to having memorized. I don't have it memorized, but I can quote large portions of it because not because I've tried to memorize it, just because I've read it through and chewed on it and whatever so many times. And if I had my way, I would. There's basically, I I would spend all my time in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, maybe. Although I'm not a, as big an Ephesians person as I was a few years ago, but. Uh, Revelation and Song of Solomon. That's I would spend all my time in those books. But we already got my favorite book is The Gospels are great, but I I mean, for me the Gospels are for me the Gospels are a story, (laughs) and I enjoy the story. But this is teaching, and I'm a teaker. So my brother said if you never read anything in the Bible, read Romans. He kept telling me from the time I was younger, read Romans, read Romans. I kind of was just like, well, it's so funny because I would tell him to read Jeremiah. Jeremiah is beautiful. I love Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah, and everyone thinks like he's weeping the whole time, but I see the beauty in it of that. He like still follows Christ. We will stick our toe in it next time. I feel like there's so much beauty in Jeremiah. Romans eight and Romans nine. Are, are, are Let's go, dive in. Let's I in. actually, I actually changed my um, opinion on this this summer. Here's the deal, though. I promise you that I will give you a different view of predestination than you've ever had. And not, and not, and I don't mean, I don't mean yes or no. I mean, you'll see it differently. The whole idea of predestination than you've had. Because most people, it's just about, what did God, you know, it's most about, does, like, you know, they, they, they make it all about, does God pick people and, to go to hell? And which is not at all what predestination is about, at all, biblically. It's about five million other things, and it's not, it's just not about that. Pastor Pam gave me a different perspective on it last year than I'd ever heard. It was like, she was talking about like predestined, like, pathways through life and like different things. I don't know how to explain it, but it was cool. It was cool. I don't know if it was right, but... I, I, don't, I don't know if I... We'll, we'll see. I'd love to discuss that with you. Sorry, that was not my Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay.